Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. To give you a proper introduction of the History of Alchemy podcast... We'll start with the history of alchemy itself, okay? So we'll actually give you a brief rundown of the history of alchemy, and that is a good description of what this podcast will cover as a whole. Right now, we're going to ignore Indian and Chinese alchemy, but if people want to hear about that, I mean, I, I have some ideas that we can actually do a couple of episodes on specific Indian or Chinese alchemists or some of the philosophy um, so we, we could do that. But what we're actually talking about is the, the Greek, Arabic, Persian, European, if you will, branch of alchemy, right? Yeah, and that leads us into what the, the etymology of what really alchemy is. And it, you know, it gives you a good rundown uh, of where alchemy has come from and, and its, its roots in history uh, and where, where it is today uh, as, as a study in itself. Uh, with its modern traditions, you know. So when we take a look at the word alchemy, uh, we can get this from any, any, the Wikipedia source. So we take a look at the word of alchemy, uh, the definition in the old French, uh, the pronunciation rather, is alchemy. Uh, medieval Latin would be alchemia. And in Arabic would be alchemia. Yeah, just with a hyphen. There's a hyphen. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it sounds close to the ear, Travis. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's, it's alchemia. Uh, and ancient Greek would be chemia, which uh, sounds very close to chemistry, if you if, mm-hmm. if you are uh, able to kind of spell that out. Either may have been derived from the version of Egyptian, named for Egypt, which was in itself based on ancient Egyptian word kimi, um, so which would really mean black earth or opposed to the desert or sand. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it does have a history uh, where there's a mixture referring to maybe the pharmaceutical chemistry that we, we know of today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, they're still open for debate. Yeah, no one's no one's 100% sure. But yeah, both both theories kind of make sense. Okay, so we've described the word a little bit, but but so what do we mean by alchemy, right? What what do we mean by the word itself? And at at its most basic level, you're talking about transmutation. Okay? So you're talking about changing one thing to another. Generally, what most people mean is like, you know, changing a base metal to gold. Uh, in medieval alchemy or medical alchemy, we talk about the elixir of life. So like in the sense of transmutating a sick body to a healthy one. And then within Neoplatonism, uh, so sometimes alchemy can have kind of a spiritual al- aspect. And in that sense, we're talking about the transmutation of the soul. Okay, But specifically, if they were, even if they were Neoplatonists, if they were alchemists, they could have been after both. Like they could be talking about changing metals and the soul or, or using, um, you know, kind of a mystical meditation as, you know, as a tool in their alchemy of, you know, practical alchemy of changing metals into gold or whatever. So it's, uh, it can mean various things and have various contexts, but basically at the most basic level, it's changing one thing to another. Right? When I, Travis, when I think of alchemy, I'll, I'll give it a layman's viewpoint of this. I usually think of something medieval of uh, uh, changing um, 
another medal to, to gold, as you would hear from these fairy tales of, of uh, um, emperors and, and, and kings trying to have their early scientists and wizards make something uh, um, uh, precious out, yep, of, out of something sure. that's not precious. Or, or dabbling in the issue of a cult. I mean, when we talk about alchemy, it, it has a um, kind of a wide berth of, of information uh, that some people pick and choose for, for what they want to do with it, right? Well, yeah, because the, the, the how is, is important. So how they would choose or how they would change something into gold uh, often would just simply involve something like involve something like magic or you know theurgy or, or powers from God, powers from the above. Um, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit, but you could call alchemy a pseudoscience or a proto science, if if you will. But but a lot of times there's a strong mystical mythical element into it, uh, you know, involved. It does have a basis in science, but a science we might not recognize, like like a science like Aristotle's like four elements or you know Plato or you know so astrology versus astronomy like in the not copernian sense but like the ptolemaic sense or but still there was a system there there was a logic to it so if you if you read into it they weren't just often total mystics they just believed whatever they want they did have some ideas of what reality was or you know what was real what was not real and what was possible and this just happened to fit into what they thought was possible so what was great about uh, about alchemy that we that we know of today uh, is the fact that there, there are some written records and there are some historical evidence about what we're going to be going into. And then on the flip side of that, there's some speculation because some things were lost to history. But yep. the, the influences of those things that were lost to history were found again maybe a generation or two later. So mm-hmm. um, so there there is a, a track. It, we'll try to follow historically on this uh, throughout these podcasts to, to give you an idea about uh, you know the roots of um of alchemy uh, in various locations in, in Europe and, and Eurasia. Yeah, in fact, let's let's jump into that a little bit. So, um, if if I were to start the history of alchemy, okay, say it, 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 this time and places where it started, me personally, I would start in around the third or fourth century of Alexandria. Now, it clearly goes beyond that, but if you're talking before the third century Alexandria or at least before the first century or, or even before that, you're mostly talking about mythology. So when I say, yeah, if we're talking brass tacks, we're talking, you know, the, 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 the actual real alchemists that wrote down stuff themselves and we can go back to and we can hold those, uh, those writings in our hands and read, that's third century alchemy, uh, Alexandria. But they wrote about people that were older, okay? So it clearly goes beyond that. So I'm just, I want to talk about like 4th century Alexandria for a second. A lot of the episodes we do are about alchemists at that time. We talk about um, Hermeticism. We have an episode on Hermeticism, on Neoplatonism. Um, we'll, we'll have one on like Jewish philosophies at the time, Gnosticism. And in Alexandria, all these, you know, including early Christianity and, and other belief systems, but all these kind of were in one place at one time. So it must have just been fascinating, you know, all these things kind of feeding and contrasting each other and you know these these philosophies evolving you know with with all these crazy influences between east and west and and old and new and and what have you but this is the time and place where we get the first mentions of what we can recognize as alchemy uh we did an episode on Zosimos of Panopolis uh others for instance he mentioned older ones okay but that goes into mythology like i just mentioned but 
um, you know, well, to talk a little bit about what he wrote about, for instance, is we do an episode on Hermeticism and like Hermes Trismegistus. So he's often called the father of alchemy. And if you're talking about Hermes Trismegistus, you're talking about uh, almost like Hermes, the Greek god, and he, he and a mixture of him and Thoth, which was a an Egyptian god. And they're both like, you know, gods of of knowledge, gods of wisdom, that kind of thing, but also gods of magic and, and the occult. And so there's definitely mythological beginnings, even, you know, like Zosimos, I mean, he was a mystic, he was a Gnostic and a, and a Neoplatonist and all that. Um, so it's it's important. It had a huge influence, but there were later, you know, this goes all the way forward to modern, what we would call science. Um, to give you an example, Hermes Trismegistus wrote something called the Emerald Tablet. As an example, Isaac Newton translated Hermes's Emerald Tablet. So this is, you know, this brings us right up to the, what, 17th century? Well, in, not, in, not to jump ahead too much here, but the idea of scientific methodology mm-hmm. has, a, has a great deal to thank to, to, uh, uh, to uh, alchemy because early alchemists did this process. They, they, they did a process of, of hypothesis and then theory, you know, theory hypothesis mm-hmm. and then trying to prove their hypothesis uh, or disprove it. Um, and uh, so the, the idea of scientific theory and thought has, has a foundation in this someplace, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, actually, I, yeah, I love that concept that um, if you want to look at the beginning of what we would call science, like, you know, empiricism, the scientific method, all that, you can see traces of it already then. So in the very beginning, you see um, some emphasis. Now, I don't want to paint a picture too one-sided because there's clearly the crazy, mythological, weird, murky side, and we'll get into that too. But but you do see some importance given to reproducibility um, and writing things down so others can do it. And writing down, you know, exact recipes and being able to actually follow a process and and doing something over and over, like in this case, creating gold. Um, But but the flip side was, uh, and we get into this like in the Neoplatonist episode, is that there was a big spiritual part of it as well. Uh, Zazamos himself, while, you know, also clearly interested in metallurgy and, and actually doing stuff with metals... He also had some pretty kooky dreams and visions, and you know, we, that's it's a good episode. I would recommend it. Um, but so you you need to understand kind of both sides of that. But there was a, there was a logic there. I mean, I would argue that um, there's, their theories were wrong and way off. But but there was theories. There was you know what they considered science. Well, you could you, you would see that certain scientists of the day that were um, underst- underst- understood to be at the top of their game. Um, you can you can see how Isaac Newton gravitated towards this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, he was. <laughs> do, you, do you get it? Uh-huh. Gra- gravitated. Oh boy, this is gonna be a long way, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you you didn't even get it at first, but uh-huh. that okay. You can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it. That's a Red Bull um, talking. Sorry. But but actually, Isaac Newton. I mean, we haven't done that episode yet, but but that's a really interesting one because he did. There, that was a huge influence. Like he had. Um, I mean, he was what we would consider the, you know, the theory of gravity and one of the inventors of calculus and all those, you know, things that we still look at today. And, uh, but he did have a, he had a really deep, entrenched occult side. And you see this with alchemy a lot. So there's, there's a lot of logic and, and sound theories, even if they're, even if they're based off of 
wrong facts, uh, which I guess aren't facts, but uh, you know they're based on something. They're based on the observable space. And uh, we'll, when we talk about astrology, for instance, you, you can see that that you know they made a mathematical model off of things that they could observe. It wasn't just out of nothing. I mean, even the you know heliocentric views of the world made sense to what they saw. And the same thing goes with uh, creating gold from copper or tin or lead. And and we talk about this in if you want to jump to that episode, like Michael Sandivogius had a had a very solid reasoning behind why you could turn metals into gold. And we'll do an episode on how to actually do it. Like we'll we'll do a like a kitchen recipe <laughs> cooking. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because you know there there are steps uh, certain alchemists had had written down that may not make a lot of sense to to us without the, the code breaking, but we'll go step by step to see if we can follow uh, these century old uh, uh, recipe for making yeah, gold. And, and there's several recipes, but we'll we'll find a simpler one and and uh, go through it. Um, so let's let's move on a little bit in the in the history. So what happened after Alexandria? Well, you know, after the alchemists uh, were in decline in Alexandria, some Nestorian Christians uh, took the manuscripts to Persia, and later the Muslim conquest ended this direct uh, Alexandrian influence uh, in Europe. So um, that does kind of open the doors to the mu- Muslim and, and uh, Persian sort of contribution to to the uh, to, to alchemy. Uh, they took the idea and they s- expanded upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to get into the medical alchemy. You know, we we talked about the the transmut- transmutation um, of of elements. We also talked about the spiritual transmutation that that is also given. But when you look into this medical alchemy, this transmut- transmutation of the sick to the healthy, that was just as important. Oh, yeah. um, the Muslims actually believed used the word alchemy. Um, uh, which is where we, we get it from. The, uh, the Arab world expounded upon Aristotle and the Greek thinkers and their ideas of the natural world. So uh, they really took it to a whole new level, and it was used oh, throughout yeah. Europe. Yeah, and, and we, we bring up uh, Muslim alchemists or, or Persian uh, Arabic alchemists all the time. Like almost in every episode, there was some influence, and before you would think, like it wasn't necessarily the Renaissance, which you know I tend to avoid that term, but you know it wasn't the the fall of Constantinople or or the the reconquest of Spain and Toledo, but much before that, we see that some of this knowledge trickled back into Europe. In fact, starting around the Crusades, but not necessarily because of them, but but definitely in that time period, you start to get people in Europe reading those Greek texts again after a millennia of them being lost, but now they're mainly from Arabic translations. So a huge impact. Now, again, to, to kind of oversimplify and, you know, to kind of sum up the, the history a little bit, but we're talking about, when we talk about the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life, we're generally talking about the same thing. You could talk about, you could mention, or you could say the universal medicine, uh, also known as like liquid gold, or many, many other names. I mean, almost in every episode we mention, if we're talking about an alchemist, we he has his own belief system of what that actually was, what it looked like, um, you know, what it what it could do, where it came from. But basically, it's all the same thing. Elixir of life, philosopher's stone. It's 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 one and the same. It's what they were after. Okay. Now, there's some interesting interpretations and misinterpretations and and takes on these things. But to really oversimplify. Some medieval thinkers in Europe would take these kind of spiritual meanings of the earlier Neoplatonists and Hermeticists 
and read them more directly, more literally. And this is a huge oversimplification. Some people might have problems with this, and, and that's fine. I, I would accept that viewpoint as well. But um, you see a lot of murky writings and drawings, and um, uh, we'll do an episode just on some of the code and symbology. Okay, so um, you get this, this strange um, thing where mercury doesn't always mean mercury, and you see a picture of a, of a white man and a red lady and there's and snakes eating their tails and just all kinds of stuff you know mixing it in with astrological things uh, greek mythology all kinds of weird things and so sometimes this was code for something specific and sometimes it was just something meant to be hidden and sometimes it was just charlatanism just plain and simple you know obscuring the truth because snake they oil didn't, they didn't have any truth yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um so kind of to, to, to go into this a little bit deeper, what, does, what do we mean when we say like esoteric? I mean, what are we talking about? Well, you know, to, to me, esoteric gives you an idea of something that goes beyond um, uh, the conservative con- constructs of, of religion or, or uh, politics of culture. It, it's it's uh, you know, knowledge of something forbidden that's just not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to read into. We, we, we do this podcast from Prague. This is an esoteric city. If that oh, gives yeah. you an idea. Sure. You know, uh, it's it's something that is is off the beaten path. It has a lot of mysticism around it, and uh, it's 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 on the fringe. And I think that's uh, a, a, probably a great sort of um, uh, loose example for what what alchemy was at, at a time, because uh, it was considered at from uh, some certain viewpoints to be witchcraft or wizardry mm-hmm. uh, or things that were against uh, the, the teaching of, of, of Jewish or Christian law. Um, so uh, it, it, it uh, was also incorporated by both, both these institutions at one point within or another. Within the church? Within without, the church. Yeah, and within Judaism. Yeah, yeah so sure. I, I don't want to give you an idea that this was completely outside the circle, uh, but uh, for, for you, you had to kind of walk a thin line. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were going to be an alchemist, you said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be able to uh, push the envelope with, with my experiments and my writings and, uh, and the things that go with, with my, my learned profession. But then I'm going to have to bring it, reel it back in a little bit and say, can I put a Christian or Jewish spin on this so I don't lose my head or be set on fire? You know, because yeah. because those were the punishments for people that were practicing witchcraft or wizardry. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it is a it is a thin line that we see when we talk about esoteric. Uh, it's full of symbols. You know, we talk about the you, know, you talked about the snakes eating their own tails and the white and red couple um, uh, and Greek mythological figures. You know, whole thing is steeped in a, a, astrology. So um, there is that dabbling of what many would call maybe the dark arts or you know white magic or you know a whole list of those type of things. Um, I, I think that um, that draws a lot of people today to it because it's it is out there. Yeah, you know? and it's yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of people that are maybe into astrology or or kind of neo hermetic beliefs kind of fall into this too. But you know, we mentioned like like um, some Christian thinkers going into this, and sometimes we mentioned a couple episodes where they would have to get, like they would be monks, and they'd have to get permission from the abbot to write some of these things. Or they would, in, in one case, they got permission from the pope. Like, it was banned by the abbot, and the pope said, no, no, write down what you know, because, you know, we want to know, if it's knowledge, we want to know about it. And sometimes, these codes, they would write in code with the understanding that you'll only be able to read it and follow the instructions if God wants you to. 
So it wasn't always outside of Christianity, although many times it was akin to sorcery, like there was some magical element to it. Um, but still, generally it's pretty clear they're after the Philosopher's Stone. They, they mention, you know, the, the codes are often decipherable, and sometimes not. Sometimes to this day we have no idea what they meant because it gets pretty crazy. But in a lot of times, um, these are alchemists are people that were leaving the books and doing their own experimentation, which is what interests us in the history of science and these things, like uh, like Albertus Magnus, Thomas Agrippa, and some of those the Arabic uh, alchemists that were you know dabbling in real medicine and and like Paracelsus that was uh, dabbling in in you know in theor- crazy theories that sickness isn't caused by an imbalance in your four humors, but could be a, you know an outside factor like. They didn't know about viruses or bacteria, but they were thinking, well, it could be caused by other things, yeah, well, which was, you know, unheard of. I mean, it just it didn't go along with Aristotle at the time. So, but if you were dabbling in nature and outside of the the Bible or the Latin scholarly books at the time, and and even outside of Aristotle, then you could easily get a reputation of a magician or an alchemist, even if you weren't one. And who knows what that crazy guy in the woods was doing with those plants. And so it was a double-edged sword, like you mentioned. So the, 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 I think the only way to avoid um, a, a catastrophe or losing your life at this point, if someone thought of those, those things of you um, during your, your, your studies or your, your scientific practices, would, would be who you knew and the spin you would put on it. So you can keep doing what you were doing. So if you had a connection to somebody in the church or uh, in, in city hall at the time or you know a town, town magistrate, um, and then you also said, I'm doing this because I'm trying to find out the nature of, of God's love towards something by looking at the elements uh, or you know, tracking the, 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 the paths of the stars or astrolog- you know, astrological uh, bodies uh, in, the, in the sky, then maybe you could, you could live a long life. Uh, mm-hmm. So, it was, yeah, you, you probably did have to put a spin on it. But, you know, we talk about what amazes me about this stuff, learning this uh, from this podcast, is the things that we know today, we can actually say that, you know, a big thanks to the, al- the early alchemists. We're talking about the periodic table. We're sure. talking about the conce- concepts of, of, of nature, of uh, celestial bodies and how they work. Um, and it all kind of, you know, laid the groundwork for other scientists uh in the church and outside the church mm-hmm. to to give us the science that we have today. Oh, yeah, yeah. We see that over and over again. Um, in fact, this, this goes right into kind of the Renaissance times and um, the fall of Constantinople, the reconquest of Spain, right? So suddenly you have this flooding of these Arabic texts coming into Europe of the fleeing Greeks or the... The, the the Spaniards suddenly ha- suddenly having access to the library of Toledo and, and those those kind of things. And so you have just this flood of alchemical writings and, and these ancient Greek thinkers that had been lost in Europe for a, at least a large part of them. And you get all these new sources, you know, the flourishing of the art, of including alchemy. Um, suddenly we get court alchemists, we get emperor alchemists, like our favorite Rudolf II of Habsburg, which we bring up in pretty much every show, even if it has nothing to do he with it. He was him. awesome. <laughs> in fact, in both podcasts, in Bohemian, we bring him up all the time. Yeah, but we, re- um, we bring him up because he was a rare bird when it comes to this stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, there weren't many emperors out there or kings or potentates that said, hey, you know what? Not only am I not going to go out and burn you at the stake or, or you know, charge you with heresy, 
I'm going to invite you in, despite what my bishops and, and everyone else is telling me I should do with you, and I'm going to give you what you need mm-hmm. so that we can go down this road together. And yeah. Rudolph II did that, and he was known for that. So he, he basically was a magnet here in Prague to bring all these people together, for good, the yeah. good, bad, and the ugly. You yeah. know, the, you said, like, the, the real scientists, the true believers, and the charlatans. They all came to Prague to see if they, what they can get out of, uh, of this really uh, open emperor, because that just didn't happen. And, and he wasn't the only one. There, there were a couple other princes that would ban alchemy, but then have their own court alchemists. Because there was a fear that, oh, if, if you can... Uh, at one point, there was a belief that all the gold in the currency of England was alchemist gold. So it was created from nothing. Well, they, I, 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 and, well let, me, let me say this, because you know, the, difference, the difference what I'm saying here is that Rudolph II was extremely open about this. Yeah. The, 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 the other princes you're talking he about them, did it on the, sli- on the sly. Yeah. Well, right. well, they were afraid of inflation. They were like, you can't just create all this gold and then, you know, then our economy collapses. But yeah, Rudolph, Rudolph II just allowed it. He just let it happen and, and it flourished. Of course, that also, uh, and then this became a bigger and bigger concern, but this also brought along the frauds, right? Like, uh, we'll, we'll do an episode on, on uh, Gilles de Rey, who was a contemporary of Joan of Arc. In fact, you know, in the same battles, and about he was John a, D too. Yeah, well, right. Gilles de Ray ended up being a child murderer, and oh, that's right. You told me about yeah, him. Yeah, sketchy. Go we, look him up. He's, we don't we'll, want to talk about that we'll, story. We'll do an episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll do an episode on him. Oh, that was, and because yeah. uh, he has, uh, yeah, he he kept wanting to hire alchemists, and some, you know, in his in his trial, they said like he was he was hiring black magicians and all that. But who knows? I mean, we never heard his side of the story, so that could have been over exaggerated or not true at all. Some people but say he, he was did, the first what. The first uh, serial, oh, serial killer. killer. Right. Uh, he was definitely a serial killer. Yeah. That, that's fact. But um, yeah, there, he kept trying to get a way to get gold and he kept getting taken advantage of. And, you know, there's some hilarious stories there that we'll get into on his episode. But another one is like John D, who actually came to Prague from Elizabeth I's court. And uh, again, uh, uh, you know, he invented a, an angelic language and, and made a bunch of stuff up and got really rich, then got really poor. Um, but you know, during all of this, we get new ideas of medicine. You know, like I mentioned, sickness can be cured by outside forces. Uh, we get the beginnings of pharmacy. We, uh, you know, and then there is real scientific discoveries, which we'll kind of list in a, in a second here. But just the process itself is like you need, so you need acids, you need distilleries, you need the knowledge of minerals. Uh, you, you, you know, you start to see these kind of murkings beginning of, of chemistry and, and real science, I would say your early chemists with a, with a Y, like it's chemists, but they spelled it with a Y, are myelite alchemists. They're, they're the same thing. They're, there's not a big difference. Um, some are frauds and some are really following a, a kind of proto-scientific method and you know trying to get reproducibility. And we started getting into people like Roger Bacon and, and you know his, his generation. But okay, so let's wrap up this the history there i would say and uh, let's let's get into some some genuine science so this isn't all just hermeticism and neoplatonism but but what did they actually do scientifically well a lot of them looked up to the stars you know we we another part of the process requires the astrological considerations of of alchemy mm-hmm. uh which uh which is the main reason we we have we have ast- astronomy today uh tehil brahi uh, brahi uh, uh once wrote a horoscope uh for a prince that was about 78 pages long or so yeah. uh, a lot of it committed off memory which which was interesting yeah. but uh, uh he had the disclaimer that 
If the royal clocks were as much as four minutes off, then the star charts were wrong at the at, at the time of birth, and the horoscopes were absolutely useless. Big disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. yeah by the way, right. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to know the future, uh, and you need to know exactly what time it is and where the stars and planets were located, mm-hmm. um, you know, some twenty pages of the horoscope were were just positions of the stars and planets at the time. Uh, both Brahe and and uh, astrology at the time. Um, uh, are, are are things that we want to definitely go into at other future episodes. Yeah, uh, sure. but you know, it's it. Likewise, you would have to want to make a you know the elixir of life. We talk about the philosopher's stone. Um, maybe some of our listeners will know the philosopher's stone from from different type of things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, some some popular culture issues have used the 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 term philosopher's stone. Like for instance, Harry Potter and sure. the stories. Yeah. You know, some when you read as a kid or had you know read to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> In my case, I'm a little older, <laughs> but. Um, you know, uh, there, there's, there's some connections with those. Uh, you, you can better understand uh, your heat source, your lab equipment, um, the position of the stars, your minerals, and uh, the periodic tables we discussed, um, and that things need to be um, reproducible. So it's, uh, th- there's, there's a lot that goes into this, and I think that uh, we're not just talking one particular discipline here. It's actually a huge umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like the heat source, I know that uh, some, in some recipes you needed a consistent temperature for up to 10 months. So, I mean, that's a, first of all, that's a huge cost. So you need money to make money. But second, you need, I mean, you need to, you need to have... Yeah, well, Bellows, you know, what, you, what, you know, this stuff was already in existence when people were doing oh, yeah. pottery and ceramics. But, you, but it's precision. Exactly. It's, it's, it, and for you, months at a time. So. You could do some serious damage to the type of, of, of ceramics that you wanted to do if you had just a little fluctuation of heat, and sometimes you had to stoke those flames for mm-hmm. days on end in, in, in a different type of kiln or, or cave, you know, or hollowed out part yeah. of a cave. So um, some of this stuff was already in place, and, you know, early scientists of, of alchemists decided, hey, you know what, we're going to take it, take the ball from here and build upon that, mm-hmm. that knowledge set, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, think, I think some of the things um, that they that – they, invented or just improved upon was just the precision of it like they needed these constant temperatures for or consistent temperatures for a very long time um but also like more concrete things like medicines okay like for just to give you an example uh medicines that were extracted from saffron by ibn al-wafid of toledo and um, some you know some chemical compounds like mercury oxide the invention of the the bain marie which we'll go into in a different episode, uh, who actually invented that. And that, that goes back to mythology almost. But then just things like gunpowder, ink, certain dyes, paints, cosmetics, leather tannings, or at least specific parts of leather tannings, ceramics, like you mentioned, like specifically uh, porcelain in the West. So porcelain was a Chinese thing, but they wanted it in Europe, and it was finally an alchemist that cracked the code and figured out how to do it. Um, phosphorus, like the invention of phosphorus, which is hilarious because some guy was was distilling his own pee and for hours and hours until he finally got this glowing sustenance that he just uh, you know thought was best thing ever. Glass manufacturer, because when we talk about lab equipment, so you know you have glass manufacturer without alchemists, but this again this precision and this certain certain thickness, and the advance of glass manufacturer was for lab equipment for alchemy, uh, preparation of preparation of extracts, liquors, distillation. Distillation was an alchemist invention. Uh, Hydrochloric acid, periodic tables, the very first ones at least, going beyond the the four elements, 
Um, you know, just if you think of the old Aristotelian elements of earth, air, fire, water, that can go all the way back to Babylonian mythology, but it's also found in Hinduism and Buddhism, and, uh, you know, you can just take it from there. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a... Uh, I mean, you have similar things in, in Chinese mythology and their understanding of the world. But, uh, yeah, it's... It, there's there's a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things we'll go into. To give you an overview of the show, I mean, so what do we normally talk about in, in these episodes? Well, we're going to talk about history. We're going to talk about culture and how it's all connected through the to the guise of, of, of alchemy mm-hmm. and, and the science that, that came from this or the failures that mm-hmm. came from this that we learned from as well. It's not just all the successes. It's also the failures. And I, I think we're going to blend that together in this show to give you a, a, a broader picture of – uh, of how alchemy and its tentacles have basically come across the come across the the ages, and how it affects what we do today in, in scientific method and what we do today in our in our normal lives. We can thank a lot of these early pioneers for the things that we we know as basic knowledge today. So I think you know the the listener is going to go through a wild ride here of things that they thought they knew. You know, and then they're also going to be exposed yeah. to, to new things. Uh, and we're going to put that kind of spin on it that's going to connect um, uh, a, a lot of these different uh, disciplines all under the umbrella of, of alchemy. Yeah. I mean, to give some examples of that, like, well, a lot of the episodes are basically – like, we don't really do bio, biographical things. But we do talk about specific most – of the, most of the episodes are about a specific alchemist or, or a duo or – something like this, but we still talk about their ideas of, you know, what the world consisted of or how to make gold or or their spiritual beliefs. But then, like, we did a couple of episodes on Hermeticism, Neoplatonism. So any, like you said, anywhere it intersects with alchemy or um, if you go to historyofalchemy.com, there's a nice picture I drew because it's hard for me to explain the scope of the podcast, right? So why do we talk about astrology? Why do we talk about Neoplatonism? Why do we talk about... So there's there's a nice, you know, if a picture is a thousand words, then um, there you go. There's a nice kind of Venn diagram that I made because um, we'll talk about Kabbalah at one point, numerology in general, and, uh, you know, things like theurgy and, and theosophy and, you know, their connection with alchemy. I mean, it, it always come back to alchemy, but, uh, you know, there's so many other concepts that if you really want to understand alchemy and understand where it came from and how it eventually led to science, even in medieval times, then there's other kind of things you need to understand. And so we'll talk about all of that. And I'll, I want to say one thing to the listeners that if you are curious about something and we haven't covered it yet, or maybe we don't even know to cover it, um, you know, send us an idea. We'd love to hear from you. Give us feedback. Let us know what you think and what you want to hear about because, you know, maybe it'll interest us too. So. And, and a unique aspect of this is that both of us are located in probably the seat of alchemy, which is the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. Oh, so many people we mentioned, like John D., Edward yeah. Kelly, Brahe, Kepler, so, Rudolf II. So we're, yep. we're right at the epicenter of this because, yep. uh, you know, at the, at the time when alchemy was really hitting its stride, uh, it was in Prague. I, I would mm-hmm. dare say it was in Prague. Uh, there, there were definitely some other influences around around the, the world. The golden age, though. The yeah. golden age. And so, you know, we're here. We, we actually soaked that in, driving to work, you pass you pass you, you uh, pass places that have some some strong historical reference to to the early alchemists and and I, I think that uh, you know we're able to give you that kind of uh, um, exposure to uh, a place that's very unique in the world for this for this mm-hmm. type of, of study. There's 
Al Alchemist Labs, still standing in Prague today. I can think of three off the top of my head. You and I did a tour the other day of, yeah. uh, of a few places in, in, near the Prague Castle. And, yeah, and they're still there. So some of them still have those... Uh, uh, the symbols outside the building. In fact, the oldest house, not the oldest building, but the oldest house is is an alchemist's lab, and there's still the symbols outside and the the weird kind of double meanings of, of all those things. But oh yeah, we're we're right in the middle of it. So is it okay to do a shameless plug for my show as well? Absolutely. Go okay. ahead. This <laughs> is a nice cross section because uh, you know Travis and I also do a, a, a show called uh, the Bohemian Podcast, which stands for Bohemian American, and uh, it's it's uh, a show about culture. It's a show about Czech uh, lives and and uh, w from the viewpoint of two uh, American expats now living in the Czech Republic. So uh, sometimes our shows kind of cross a little bit on occasion, uh, you know. But uh, we learn both from each other's shows. I, I think that I've learned quite a bit from from the study of of, of alchemy uh, and how it relates to to the things we do on the Bohemian podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, again, it relates to a, a lot of it to Prague. So, so you know, if you can, you know, tune in. Uh, you can both get the shows on iTunes. Yeah, if you're not, if you're not sick of us from one show, you can <laughs> hear our lovely voices on another. Take it, take it in, in bits and pieces. Yeah. <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, what we do is um, we might change this, but but we basically do one show every week. So, History of Alchemy is every two weeks. Bohemians every two weeks. Um, we might change the format a little bit to have a shorter one in between. So there's both shows every week. In, in You're going to get a nice dose of both of us, folks. So yeah, you you'll, know, you'll, hang tight. <laughs> yeah, you'll be happy when the shows are over. That's right, pretty much. <laughs> but you're going to learn something. Yep. So thanks, thanks a lot for listening, and I hope this gives you a pretty good idea of what we're about and, and what, what alchemy is about in general and what we'll be discussing. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.